This podcast, number 863, with Ed Freyenheim about a new book he co-authored with Edward Adams entitled Reinventing Masculinity, The Liberating Power of Compassion and Connection, is brought to you by Ashley Willens, author of a new book entitled Time Smart, How to Reclaim Your Time and Live a Happier Life. In this podcast, we explore the intersection of money and time and how we make trade-offs between these valuable resources. Ashley speaks about the time traps, including technology and chasing money, as well as how to create time-smart routines and build time affluence. If you're interested in learning more about Ashley Willens and her new book, Time Smart, please visit her website at www. Awillens.com. That's A W H I L L A N S.com. And now for our featured podcast, please listen to my interview with Ed Frauenheim about his new book, Reinventing Masculinity The Liberating Power of Compassion and Connection. Happy listening. Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Voice and the host of Inside Personal Growth. And joining us from San Francisco today is Ed Frauenheim. And Ed is the co-author with Ed Adams, two Eds, um, on a new book called Reinventing Masculinity, uh, The Liberating Power of Compassion and Connection. And I would say that this book is for every male, but it's also for every female who wants to know what's going on with every male um, or could be going on with every male. There are some people that aren't even conscious that this exists, and that's the whole idea is to create awareness about the patterns that we've been living, how we've been brought up uh, from kids um, to be the way we are as males in society. But there is another option, and we're going to explore the new option today with Ed. Good day to you, Ed. How are you doing? I'm good, Greg. Great to be here with you. It's good to know that uh, you're good in San Francisco. I'm going to let my listeners know just a tad bit about you. Uh, Ed Frauenheim uh, was wrestled with, and it means to be what it means to be a man for 40 years uh, in his personal and professional life. As a young man, as an adult and a father, as an observer of the best workplaces in the world, and co-founder of a group trying to reinvent organizations. This book, uh, to weave all these threads together, the man rules uh, Ed grew up with weren't a good fit. Be strong. Ed was skinny. Uh, dominate others. He lost his uh, a fist fight in sixth grade. Uh, just win, baby. We often freeze and during key moments of hockey, basketball, and soccer games. Um, Ed's progress as a man uh, goes partially to reinventing and learning about some of the most admirable men in business. Uh, Ed's the author who has written about organizations, leadership, and society for more than two decades. He currently serves as senior director, and he just said he's not doing that anymore, of uh, the great places to work. So he currently is just doing his work with this book, and he's writing. Um, 
But Ed isn't done wrestling with what it means to be a man, but it's less a fight these days than it was before. And we're going to talk about that. And I think uh, men in particular uh, pay attention to this podcast um, because, you know, it's a subconscious thing. I don't think many of us know that it's going on when you really begin to realize how subconscious it is. You know, and in the foreword of your book, Paul Gilbert, the PhD, and I forget which university is from. Is he from, uh, do you remember? It's, uh, it's a British university. Yeah. Um, At any rate, it's okay. He, he writes that the basic nature as males has been deeply corrupted by modern culture. In what ways has our culture, modern culture, influenced us as males in your estimation? Uh, th- thanks, Greg. I, I love that uh, forward by Paul Gilbert of the University of Derby. I just uh, double-checked that. Um, the modern culture has influenced us as men to be more competitive, more dominant, oriented, uh, and to really lose our sense of, uh, a sense of egalitarianism. Uh, what, what Paul Gilbert pointed out, and, and I've done some of this re- research as well in terms of what we were, we were like in our hunter-gatherer societies that really make up 95% or more of our human existence, is that men and women had, had strong values of autonomy, gratitude, and egalitarianism. And uh, there was, there's a lot of evidence that those kind of forager societies do not have the sort of hyper-competitiveness that we, we see uh, in, in, in basically what we would call civilized societies, uh, where we're, we're constantly feeling like there's a sense of scarcity that we've got to fight to, to get ours, uh, and that we're seek to, we seek to dominate others, and really not, not worry that there might be have some that have a lot and, and others that don't have very much. So these are some negative influences uh, that modern culture has really caused uh, in men, but it's not the only way we've been as men. In fact, it's, it's a relatively new way of being as men. Greg, I think you went uh, on to mute there. Sorry about that. We'll have to edit that. But I think what it is, is when I look at my almost 67 years on the planet, Um, And I realized that in the last 20 years, that whole competitive nature of things became very exacerbated. Uh, We saw what seemed to me to be a speed up in our world. Uh, You call it what you want. The economy was going faster. Technology was moving faster. We were moving faster as a species and trying to adapt and adopt um, new ways of doing and new ways of being not only as men, but even women. I mean, if you took this same thing and you looked at women, the whole competitive nature of the world of women had to change drastically as well. Um, you know, maybe the next book is is reinventing women. <laughs> and you mentioned this book was written to take a look at the models of masculinity uh, that consciously and unconsciously, as I said, our subconscious influence us. What were the positive and negative influences that you explored in your research for the book? Because you mentioned both. Sure. We wanted to make clear that we're not trying to throw the baby out with the bathwater here, Greg, when we talk about what men have been like uh, and the masculine models we've had. And there are uh, positive traditional uh, roles and ways of relating for men. Uh, We've been kind of given the option or, or in, told to be providers, protectors, 
and conquerors in large part. And, and there's a, those can be noble um, identities to, to take on, to provide for our families and communities to protect against uh, trouble or, or, or hostility uh, and to conquer or achieve goals can be a very positive thing as well. Um, at the same time, we've been uh, told to, to be uh, stoic. We've been told to be uh, self-reliant, almost to the point of isolation. And those have a, have a place as well where you can, sometimes it's important to, to bite the bullet and, and, and sort of uh, be uh, show endurance and, and toughness uh, and to be, uh, you know, independent when, 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 when that is an important, uh, an important thing to show up as, but these roles and these ways of relating are not complete as a human being is what we argue in the book. Uh, they're out of balance where we only see those, uh, those limited roles to play and ways of, 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 of working and relating to others. And it means that we've left out a lot of our humanity. Uh, we, we don't see ourselves as being able to play roles like the caregiver, like the uh, spiritual seeker, the uh, sensitive lover. These are, are, are more mocked or, or, or subordinate roles that we have a harder time playing nor do we have the ability to easily be emotionally available, uh, given that we've been told to be stoic, uh, and to see ourselves as interdependent, to recognize the ways we, we all need each other on the earth. So it's, there are positives to that conventional masculinity, but there's also been uh, a cost of, of, of a sort of a truncated version of humanity. Yeah, agreed. I mean, as you were speaking there, I was thinking, just reflecting on the fact that as I look at my male counterparts and I look at people that I've worked in business with, and the other day I went up to one of my clients and I hugged him. But the reality was, is that he wasn't ready for that. Um, mm -hmm. And just to say, hey, Mike, I, I'd, I'd like to give you a hug. Um, mm -hmm. you know, I understand the pressures you're under lack of labor, can't find workers, uh, trying to do the things you're trying to do. And it's almost like you see many people taking the weight of the world on their shoulders. Um, mm -hmm. especially if they're running companies, um, they're responsible as fathers, they're responsible as employers. Um, and the burden becomes pretty tough to actually get there. And, you know, you, you mentioned that this book was written uh, for several audiences. Um, I'd love to know who the audiences are and why you and your co-author were compelled to focus on reinventing masculinity. What really drove you guys to want to do this? We were concerned that uh, a lot of men were, were living lives that were not very full uh, and that collectively uh, there was a way for, for us to help men live uh, freer and, and more basically fuller lives for them themselves and, and help all those around them as well. Uh, and when I say that, I, what I mean is that there's what we would call the, the confined masculinity that's, that's been, been kind of governing us for, for centuries uh, and that goes back to those limiting roles and, and ways of relating I mentioned, Greg. And, and it is especially outdated, uh, unhealthy, and even sometimes dangerous in, in the 21st century that's emerging. Um, 
And so when we talk about these audience we're writing to, we're, we're, we're writing to kind of average men, as you put it, especially guys that are maybe in their uh, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s that, that grew up with those confined views pretty strongly, like myself, I'm, I'm 53. Um, but we also uh, had, a, had a focus of the audience of men at work. That's been the, the area that I've studied uh, in, in my career as a writer and journalist. And, and that old way of, of operating as a man at work, it risks having men show up as rigid, cold, and isolated in a world that's really now calling for uh, flexibility, warmth, and connection. So important what you just said. I mean, I, I think that, you know, you're saying men showing up at work, okay? We spend the bulk of our waking hours at work, you know, most men, let's put it this way, um, to find the balance uh, can be challenging because the pressure, um, as our good friend Amy Remy writes about, is being flexible and the eight superpowers to thrive uh, is to be in flux. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I don't think a lot of men, uh, I like what she says actually. If it's a change we make, we can deal with it. If it's a change that's thrust upon us, we resist it. Um, You know, you were, I'm going to say something personal. You just prior to this call mentioned that you had a heart attack um, Mm -hmm. last week and we're all sitting here today. That wasn't something you planned. That was unexpected. And the consequences of that uh, psychologically, emotionally, mentally are very tough. Um, and then on top of everything else. So I applaud you uh, in being here for this because it could have been debilitating. Um, so the the point I'm making is, and the point that um, uh, we have uh, with uh, Miss Rennie is just being flexible. And you can't uh, probably see that much in the workplace. Uh, because of the pressure of what's going on. And your intention, you say in this book, is to advise and contribute to the public and personal narrative about men and masculinity. Um, What is it that you see that are the expanded possibilities and the alternative ways to view our masculinity? I know you spoke briefly about them. We're going to find this kind of thing here because one is a liberated masculinity and the other one is your confined masculinity. And if you look at the polar ends of each, um, one is expansive and one is contractive, right? Or contracting. So That's exactly right. Yeah. So go ahead and uh, speak with our audience about that. That would be great. Yeah. Th- thank you. I, yeah. That's a good way to put it, that this this alternative to the confined masculinity that we've identified is what we call liberating masculinity. And it is an expansive uh, way of operating, way of being as a man. And basically, it, it, it comes back to those roles and ways of relating again, Greg, that under liberating masculinity, you are free as a man to uh, take up al- alternative roles, not just the provider, uh, protector, and conqueror, but bet things like caregiver, especially during the pandemic, we saw men being called to, to often being caring for their kids more than perhaps they were in the past um, to be open to uh, 
alternative sexualities and, and gender identities. That is something that younger people especially are, are gravitating toward. Um, it allows men also to uh, move into the area of, of emotions and, and uh, compassion and connection in ways that historically have been a little stilted where men were, you know, there's even a term for how men often lack the language of their feelings uh, because we've been told you're not boys. Don't cry. You don't show emotion, but this liberating masculinity says, yes, we are, we are emotional human social beings and we're going to have feelings and it's important for us to, to know them and, and express them if we want to have deep relationships with folks. So when we, we add all that up, it really allows us to live a fuller life as well as those around us. So we, we use that term liberating masculinity in two meanings. One is you're freeing yourself uh, from the, these old, those old con- confines, but you're then freeing others, your children, your, your spouse, those and your coworkers, so that they are, are able to be their full selves in the world as well. Well, it is. You know, again, the polar opposites confined versus liberated. Um, and there's a movement in between. There's a space in between um, those two. Um, I don't think that people, you know, just automatically move from confined to liberated. I believe that it's a gradual progression to actually get there because you have to speak about your feelings. You have to understand that things have changed and you have to be willing and aware of what needs to be changed. Um, And actually that awareness to just wake up that you've been acting in a certain way is really, really the important element of this book. It it really Mm -hmm. makes you aware of ways you've been acting in a confined space versus a liberated space. And, you know, you and Ed Adams wrote about you cited some alarming statistics gathered in 2018 and a survey from 538 is what you call it. Can mm-hmm. you comment on these statistics and findings and how our societal pressures are influencing these statistics? And I didn't want to cite any of the statistics, but as I read them, I was, uh, I was aware, but alarmed that it is actually as bad as it, as it is. Sure. Yeah. What we, we, what we found in that study is that a majority of men feel that the society puts pressure on us in ways that are unhealthy. And, and it's actually a higher percentage when it's younger men. So younger men have greater awareness, as you're talking about, Greg, that, that we are being pushed in ways that are, are not good for us uh, or not good for our broader society. So I think there's a, a sort of a dawning understanding that these traditional uh, uh, expectations of us as men are not are not good ones. And, yeah, but and those behind- those pressures led to suicide rates beyond comprehension. Um, like sixty three percent. I mean, it was it was very high. Um, right. Suicide, depression, anxiety, um, health conditions. Yeah. Precisely. Yeah. The, the, I was going to say that though, I think the men who are saying that the, the pressures are unhealthy are vaguely aware that men create, commit suicide at much higher rates than women. They are much less likely to go to the doctor uh, because they think they have to be tough. You know, you, you mentioned my heart attack of last week and I was wrestling with some of those same issues of, am I, you know, being weak here to, to call the doctor when I'd had a kind of a, a some chest pains 
and was it maybe just in my just something that I was letting stress get to me? Uh, there's, I, thankfully, I didn't listen to that. You know, I, I went ahead and, and called the hospital and, and got, you know, was asked to come in and had tests, and I turned out I did have a minor heart attack. Um, and then it, even at that point, there's uh, a need, I think, for men to let go a little bit, to let go of control, to surrender, to be cared for by others. That's part of that, I, that self-sufficiency point, the rugged individualism that can we take too far often. Uh, and in fact, we are needing the help of others. Uh, and I certainly needed the help of amazing doctors and nurses uh, at the Kaiser facility in San Francisco. I'm, I'm eternally grateful to them for, for taking care of me. But those are some of the ways in which these societal pressures are, you know, you're not, you're supposed to be to buck up and just uh, tough it out. And if I had done that, Greg, I might not be here today, honestly. Well, you know, they've always said this is as long as I've been in this personal growth arena, you know, there's two emotions, love and fear. Um, and, you know, mm -hmm. fear, uh, when it dominates you, whatever it might be, fear of money, fear of loss, fear of, of this, fear of that. Um, when that is there, even this fear to express yourself the way you'd like to express yourself um, because you hold back or you put it under the carpet. Um, it's not healthy. Yeah. And uh, so we see the manifesting of this dis-ease, dis-ease, um, manifest in many different ways. Um, and your statistics cite that, you know, whether it's in your case, a heart attack or somebody with chronic back problems, or somebody who, you know, has uh, uh, cancer, or mm -hmm. whatever it manifests into. And you, you speak with the listeners about, we say, liberated masculinity, and the roles of compassion and connection. Now, what I'd like you to do, I know there's five C's, but we're going to talk about the first two C's now, and then we're going to add three more C's to this. But there's the compassion and connection is something that uh, you really focus on in the book. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's we want to highlight the idea that men have shown compassion traditionally in ways that are largely implicit. Um, we may show compassion by being that provider for our family, uh, for for making sure that our kids have clothes and, and food and shelter and, and a good school. But what we've kind of missed out on is the importance of, of demonstrating compassion in, in explicit ways as well and in deeper ways where we really are in tune to how others are feeling uh, and to our own feelings. And we, we talk about the importance of self-compassion so we aren't you know, missing out on these signals that our health may not be good, for example, as we just were talking about, uh, or to be acknowledging when we're feeling low or down. There, there's, you know, high levels of depression as well. And especially during the pandemic, when we were stressed out, we were, we were talking about that, Greg, if men are not attuned to being compassionate, starting with themselves and moving out to others, it really limits our experience as people and limits our ability to relate deeply to others. And this is a important not only in our lives at, at home, but also at work, because increasingly the work world is calling on men and all people at work to be more emotionally intelligent, to, to be aware of how our teams operate, because work is much more a team sport now, not just something where you do on your own in your own cubicle, but in, in collective um, groups. Uh, and so if we are not creating the psychological safety that we know is important 
and that and that requires that emotional intelligence, then we're not going to be very successful at work. And the connection piece is related, of course. It, it's moving away from that idea that we are islands, you know, uh, unto ourselves. The self siloed, siloed people. Yeah. Yep. And that we actually are. Uh, have bonds that that matter to us that that's part of our legacy as uh, as social creatures as as mammals honestly and we uh, can acknowledge these bonds and deepen them again to have a, a, a richer life better connections with our kids and our families better relationships and success at work and then allow all those around us to to be more joyful and 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 more soulful as well. Well, you know, and there's five C's here, but we've talked about two. Uh, there's one that I would like to add because I actually think, and it's not one that's in your book, um, but I, I think when you talk about connection, you also have to have a level, and I don't know how to instill this in people, but the more curious you are about mm-hmm. anything, the more apt you are to make a connection to try and find a partner, a solution, a somebody to help you uh, navigate your level of curiosity into a new space. And I think that keeps the aliveness in people. If they really, you know, Stephen Kotler has been on the show many times. The last book was The Art of Impossible, but he strung together what I would call the personal growth uh, formula. And uh, your book is under personal growth on the back. That's what it says. And, mm-hmm. you know, he says you get focus for free, right? And then you have curiosity. And curiosity leads to a passion. Find out what those passions are that you have in life. Three of them, he says, two or three. Then mm-hmm. see how you can weave those together and then define a purpose, a mm-hmm. purpose that goes along with that. And then after the purpose, you now can create some goals around that. And you can then create proximal goals. And then what happens is you're driving toward that purpose after you've done those first four steps. You're literally now at a point where you've got these goals and you have to have grit and determination to see through the passion that you have. But if you Mm -hmm. want to live a life with passion, and I like the formula for personal growth because it's the same thing with this, I look at it, on one end, confined masculinity versus uh, the liberated one. The liberated Mm -hmm. one is actually finding your purpose, where Mm. the confined one, right, is somebody who doesn't have a purpose, okay? Mm -hmm. And and oftentimes, they're just going through the steps in life, right? And it becomes very drudgery. Now, you have Three more C's that you, I want you to talk about that are associated with uh, liberating masculinity. We've covered two. What are the other three? Well, I'm glad you mentioned curiosity, uh, Greg. I couldn't agree more because that, that is the first one we identify of the five C's is getting curious about whether there are other ways of, of living as a man, whether there are uh, ask, being willing to ask more questions about life and about work, about anything, really. Um, we do agree that uh, curiosity is vital. Um, and that relates, relates to the second one we have, which is courage. Uh, the idea there is, is to build on the, on the courage that men have had and demonstrated for many years in the realms of like the physical, like running into a, a burning building to save someone or financial courage to take a risk. But here we're talking about the courage to also uh, 
go into the realm of the emotions to, to feelings that may be difficult to experience in ourselves or to recognize in others, including even the shame, shame feelings like maybe we're not good enough as a guy. And that courage piece also includes even being willing to admit that we're not, we don't know all the answers. It relates back to the courage or the curiosity one, because if we uh, show up and, and start asking questions, it can make us look vulnerable or, or weak. Right. But increasingly, we need to do that to succeed in, in, our, in our work worlds where, we're, where things are changing so much, but also it helps deepen our relationships. Uh, and then the last one beyond compassion and connection for us is commitment, which relates, I think, to what you were saying about grit and determination. It's really sticking with this process, going through these, what we call, the, we call these, these practices, really. Can we demonstrate these and de- develop habits of curiosity, courage, compassion, and connection? Uh, so that's, that's the fourth, the fifth one we, we identified as commitment. Well, those five C's are at the essence of somebody transforming themselves into a, a liberated masculine person versus mm-hmm. somebody who's confined. And while there may be awareness of the differences between that, the question is the practice of it. Um, and, you know, um, Ed, your partner, has a program that allows men to get together. And I wanted you to speak about that. And I think it's M3. Uh, mm-hmm. is, that, is that correct? And, yeah. and I want to make sure that at our blog, our listeners have an opportunity to go to that website, um, learn more about that. We'll evidently, we'll definitely put up the website for the book, but we, we want to expose them that what we talk about here isn't something that's living just in the pages of this book. Uh, mm-hmm. It can't. It has to be in small communities of people who get together and actually express their feelings about their current masculinity. Uh, tell me a little bit more about Ed Adams's program and how our listeners could get involved. Sure. It's uh, the program is called Men Mentoring Men or M3. And uh, it is just a funnel group. I got a chance to meet some of the men of, of, of the group. It's been going on for about 30 years, Greg. Uh, it's touched hundreds of, of people's lives, mostly in the New Jersey, uh, New York City area. Um, but now they're doing virtual things. So it could be that people could join from, from all over the place. Or certainly my, my co-author, Ed, could give advice for people who want to maybe start their own group. Uh, but what's really amazing about the men in this group is that they come from all walks, all many ages. Uh, and the one rule that, that my co-author Ed Adams set up at the beginning was no man shames another because that has been such a source of, of grief and, and division among guys where we mock each other, or we, we put each other down. This is a, a place that these men have created where men are supporting each other and sharing what, what's real in their lives. And uh, I can tell you that they are the most a wonderful set of guys. They're, they're, they're not, uh, they're still guysy guys, if you will. They're, they're, they're razzing each other a little bit, teasing in just very kind ways, but also able to kind of get deep with each other on, on issues like illness, on divorce, on parenting, on work. Um, they are, uh, it's very inspiring to be around them. And we tell some of the stories in our book about some of these guys and how they transform their lives. 
Yeah. And, you know, look, it's a great place, even if you, uh, we're going to put a link to it, but we'll also put a link to Ed Adams, the co-author, where you can get in touch with him. And if you wanted to form your own group, obviously he could probably uh, give you the guidelines and practices for, for starting a group like this. But um, it's, it's so needed. And I think no matter how you're doing it, um, where people can get together in community and express and share their thoughts and their feelings uh, and have someone deeply listen um, is so important to the healing process because this yeah. is about the healing process as well. And you, you mentioned in the book that you state that confined masculinity, as you said earlier, you had three roles were protectors or providers, conquerors. Got that. Um, that's the one with that we were brought up with. Um, what are the new roles uh, of someone who's adapted the liberated masculinity mindset? Great, yeah, great question, Greg. And one I'll I'll, identif- I'll mention that we we've talked a bit so far about already is a caregiver role. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's one that we historically thought of as women's work to be sort of a, either a full time parent uh, or or a caregiver in the sense of being a nurse. And I can tell you, I just had experience of being uh, in the hospital with several male nurses who were just wonderful um, and, and combined some of the, the traditional masculine identities, you might say of, of being strong and uh, you know, assertive and, and, and uh, uh, you know, take charge, you know, along with the idea of being g- gentle and nurturing and caring um, it just was neat to see. And, and there's an example in our book of one of the men of men mentoring men who had been, uh, I believe he was an accountant for many years, but he'd always wanted to be a nurse. And, and with the support of the guys of men mentoring men, they were like, you should follow your passion, you know, to your point, Greg, of that path. And, and, and he's like, okay, I'm going to do it. And he became a nurse. And not only that, he quickly rose professionally and he brought some of those same ideas that, we, we should not shame each other and, and bring each other down uh, to his workplace because he noticed there was some dark humor that was going on in the emergency room with EMTs who were sort of callous about some of the patients. And this, uh, this nurse, Paul, said, let's, let's rethink this. You know, we're, we're, we're bringing down and we're, being, you know, we're uh, being negative when we ought to be positive here in this healing area. So this is a this caregiving role is a, is a really one that is, is is surfacing I think, and one other one that I'll mention that is important today in the workplace is also being an advocate and an ally, because one of the things that liberating masculinity does is it allows you and really kind of prompts you to reflect on the privileges we've had as men, uh, and that is not to say that we've we haven't worked hard and done done good deeds in our in our in our lives to get to where we have gotten. But men have historically had benefits and advantages structurally over women, especially white men, if you think about people of color. And so if we're able to take a good hard look at ourselves and recognize becoming aware of of the ways we've had advantages, then we start realizing the need to lift up others, even as we progress. And and that role of an ally and someone who's really willing to listen to those who've had uh, a rockier time historically or wrestled with structural bias that that is a, a role that's really needed in workplaces today and increasingly expected. So those are two two roles that I'd say are emerging and that are possible with the liberating masculinity. Yeah, and I'd say that it's needed from a standpoint to be able to play the role and still have your masculinity 
um, but your sensitivity, mm-hmm. um, your compassion. And actually uh, playing both sides of that um, requires a, a tremendous amount of thought um, before words come out of your mouth um, mm-hmm. in processing, you know, take a deep breath, as they say, before you say something. Um, if there were, if we were to wrap this thing up um, and we were to put uh, three things that you would like to leave our listeners with um, as takeaways in them either changing from transmuting uh, transforming into becoming more liberated if they aren't at all. They're listening to this and they're saying, well, um, I'm the confined masculine person. That's the way I was brought up and that's mm-hmm. the way I'm going to stay till the end. But if, if there was something you could tell them, they would say, look, the world is better if you're playing more a role as a, as a liberated masculine person than as that confined person. What would you tell them? I would tell them that <clears throat> there is a richer life possible. Uh, and, and I've seen it both in, in the stories in our book, The Men of M3, and in my own life. Uh, you, know, you mentioned at the beginning sort of the ways I didn't fit into that, that, uh, that man box, that confined masculinity model very well, Greg, of being skinny, uh, not being a winner of fights. I also didn't rise through the corporate hierarchy. I, I think I may have the, the smallest management career on record. I've managed one person for one day, it turns out, in my, in my work life. Um, and yet, when I sort of let go of, of some of those expectations and I focused more on purposeful work, uh, on, on what was really going to create a more uh, positive workplace experience for, for, for people in general, I found greater meaning. Uh, and, and have actually found more success, uh, ironically, by, by letting go of some of those older roles. So I would say there's a better life possible, a, a fuller life. It, and men can change. We have been different at different parts of, of human history and existence. And we're really, we're called to change these days. Well, that's a great way to sum this up. And um, Ed, I'd like to say to both Eds, the other Ed isn't here. Uh, thank you for writing this book, uh, uh, Reinventing Masculinity, The Liberating Power of Compassion and Connection. Um, one, to create awareness about the issue. Two, to give people a pathway out of confined masculinity into a liberated masculinity. And three, to empower them with the tool, the tools, um, which is knowledge. Um, many times just the book itself is enough knowledge, but I am going to encourage people to find a way to meet with others who are maybe experiencing the same thing, because there's nothing better than coming together and as a group to discuss it and to get the support in that group arena. Um, Ed, great having you on Inside Personal Growth. Uh, we will have, uh, uh, the, link to Amazon for this book. Uh, We will also have a link to um, the website for Ed Adams, the co-author, so that you can make a connection with him. And we'll have a link to the book website as well, um, all in our blog. Um, Namaste to you. Thank you for being on the show. Thanks very much. And thanks for taking this time with my listeners. Thank you very much.